In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie. To support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to uh-huh. people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast here at The Athletic. Uh, as always, I'm Sam Amick from The Athletic NBA Reporter here with Joe Varden. As always, Joe, uh, we have a, a good friend on the show today and colleague and a guest that uh, we just decided to have a conversation during what is an extremely tough time in this country. Uh, the one and only Marcus Thompson. Marcus, how are you, sir? What's up, man? I'm, uh, I'm all right. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I got a, I got a decent amount of sleep, so I haven't I haven't turned on any TV. So you know, whatever it ebbs and flows. Such be life. But Such I'm, be life. I'm good. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, listen, I couldn't help myself. The platitudes come out subconsciously. So you say, "How are you?" and then you just shrug. Um, this is for the listeners. I mean, I, I would certainly hope that folks get it right now. This is a basketball podcast in which there will be degrees of basketball discussed on this podcast in terms of a lot of the NBA players and coaches who are uh, loudly and proudly, you know, doing their part to to stand up against racial injustice. And in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, the 46 year old man in Minnesota uh, who was killed by Officer Derek Chauvin. Um, and, you know, and if you don't know what's going on, then you got your head in a hole. Um, but to give the, the quick debriefing, <clears throat> excuse me, as we talked today, right before we went on the air, I, I had to look up the date of when George was killed and it's May 25th. And then you look at the calendar and you say, man, these days are very slow right now and they're painful. Um, you know, the, the protesting obviously is on a different level. And then within that protesting, you have an incredible amount <clears throat> of uh, apologies, guys, of of folks who, you know, who are taking it to the next level and might not even represent the very spirit of of the protest that, you know, in the way in which they began. There's a lot of layers to this thing, um, and it's affecting everybody's community. And, and for me personally, 
you know, having Marcus on was the right move because he's a friend, has been a friend for an extremely long time. And somebody who I told him this a million times off the air is that, you know, as a white man, like whenever, um, whenever I've had to check myself and to learn, um, uh, he's certainly on my short list of people who I talk to, uh, Marcus, your latest column, um, the headline to be in a rage almost all the time resonated big time with a lot of people it was published on May 28th. Currently got 362 comments. You know, I mean, if you got 30 Jeez, or 40 comments, word. yeah, yeah. If you got 30 or 40 on a regular, that's hard level comments right there, <laughs> but it captured, it captured the, uh, the heart of the pain. Uh, and, and so even, I mean, so take us, take us through it a little bit. Uh, when you told me you wrote this thing, my favorite part was that, and Joe, I hadn't shared this with you, but Marcus and I were on the phone before it was published. And what, what struck me is that he actually said casually that he had written something. And I said, well, do you write it for yourself or uh, to get published? And real nonchalant, he's like, ah, I mean, if they want to publish it, they can. And he had turned it in, but it was this, it was this clear thing where you did it for therapy, you did it for yourself, you did it to 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 put some of that rage in the receptacles, as you eloquently wrote, and and you're running out of receptacles. Um, you know, I, you know, I haven't talked to you since that piece landed and clearly resonated with people. But you know, where are you at? Oh man, like. Right now, I'm I'm solid. Uh, this thing is, you know, it's it's just such an emotional roller coaster. But uh, like my daughter and my wife just went to Target, uh, so we just had a little fun before they left. Like just you know doing our little family silliness. So I feel good, but it it just it's it's crazy the the shift from there to here, right? And it hasn't even been a straight line. It's just up and down, it's just up and down. I remember I remember being very relieved. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. Be very honest with you. I was very relieved that you called me because I was feeling a certain type of way about the people who I wasn't hearing from. And sure enough, I had two people who I was like, I know they're gonna call. <laughs> and, and and it wasn't an article wasn't even posted yet, so I didn't get. I, I I was like, yeah, this is this is exactly who I expected Sam to be, <laughs> right? Like, hey, how you doing? And it wasn't like, yo, is this super deep? Like, are you? It was just like, yo, how you doing? And I was like, yes, way to come through in the clutch, Sam. I thought you was going to no, I'm just playing. <laughs> but the the range of emotions. Uh, Part, part part of this is just it's exacerbated by the fact that I have a a, a child who's like coming into knowledge. Uh, when she was a baby, it'd be probably different, it's like whatever. But she turned thirteen on May twenty fourth, and May twenty fifth, like <laughs> this all started. So it's like, hey, my beautiful new teenage daughter. And the world is your oyster, and you get to watch Disney all day and eat cake because, you know, life is fun and great. And then the next day, here's why you need to be careful out in these streets because you could die, right? Like, And it's like the juxtaposition of that, of, of trying to decide when and how to make her aware of what, what, life, what life is like outside these doors 
and kind of shake her from this comfortable existence she has. Like that's that's the part that's difficult. That's where my rage kind of stems from, because it's not fair that my daughter has to grow up earlier. I, I just don't think that's fair that I have to tell her things she should probably understand in 19, right. but at 13, you know. So uh, I, I just felt that a lot, and I wrote, and I like writing like for something because the process is different. I mean, I got plenty of pieces on my computer where I'm just going in, right? Like, and nobody ever reads it. It's like, whatever. But that's just really ranting. I like, you know, I knew if I turned in a piece, my my editor, Tim Kawakami, was going to, he's going to ask some questions, right? He's going he's gonna to ask me some things. I knew if I turned in a piece, I had to consider who else would read it and other thoughts and other ideals and other perspectives and make sure I consider them. Right. So I just like that filter. Uh, I like putting my thoughts through that filter to like kind of vet them. Uh, so at the end of it, I, I, I have a much better grasp of where I stand and how I actually feel. And it's not based off that initial emotion. So once I did that, Sam, and I, I kind of got out of it what I needed, <laughs> I was like, yeah, Y'all can do what y'all want with it at that point, uh, right. but it was I, I got what I needed from it, and to my to my surprise, I'm always very surprised when you just when you're honest with somebody and people act as if like it's such this oh my you know it's like oh I can't believe this this is incredible like dude I just told you the truth right. and maybe that's how like lacking truth is but. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I just, but I, I, I didn't selling, think people would do it. it would no, be you're all selling like yourself that. short, I think, in terms of it. Listen, not to you know stroke. You don't need me to stroke your ego, but it's the ability to communicate um, so specifically to what so many others are feeling. Um, you know, and and that's the thing. I mean, what what hit me is when I read the comments, and you had quite a few black folks in the comment section telling you, "I've never been able to tell people," you know how I felt. Um, and to do it, you know, with even some of the historical context you shared and, and some of the quoting of, of authors beyond Martin Luther King Jr., um, things of that nature. Uh, I mean, it it hit home for me. And Joe, I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts is as as a white man, it's like, man, <laughs> what I've learned recently more than ever is the concept in your column and the message of don't look away. Um, it's it's saddening how easy it is to look away, and it's also daunting how hard it is to keep looking. And the difference between you and I, and Joe and I and you, obviously, is that you you have no choice. Um, and I've been I've been thick in this the last couple of days, and I don't know to what detail I feel like going into down the road on this podcast. But in our specific neighborhood, we've had some extremely intense stuff in the last couple of days that that force conversations with people I, I care about deeply. And it's but it's that concept of don't look away and then knowing the whole time, well, as a white person, like you have a back door. You can just stop caring. You you can because you know you you can go on and, and the system is not going to impact your kids and your people in the same way. And uh, for me that was the the best lesson in the column. Marcus, where, where did you find this, um, the James well, Baldwin quote? Well, first off, that that was quite the bar from Sam, right? Like, he said, oh, man, you need to write this down, Sam. Uh, how easy it is 
to to look away, but how what did you say? How daunting it is to keep looking? Like, ooh, you out here writing leads. That's how I feel, man. I mean, it's, I feel <laughs> well, I and it pisses that. me off because it is, you know, it's just, uh, it's it's, you know, you look for two three days, and I I told my wife the last two days, guys, and again, I, I, this is the part I like about I've always loved about Barkus and I talking is that. You know, it's, you know, it, and we're seeing it right now. If it's only black folks fighting for black folks, then progress is not going to come. And I've never understood better than now the, the, the importance of other voices. But the phrase you you hear black men and women say all the time, I'm tired. I'm tired. And I laughed with my wife last night. And I was like, holy shit, I, I, I'm i exhausted. And, 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 I, and, I, and are you serious like this? Like. Like we've dipped our toe in this thing, you know, and uh, and and that's the part where it is. You you have the back door, you know, and it's it's a tough choice, and not a lot of people make it. To be honest with you. To answer your question, Joe, uh, I was just talking with some uh, with some friends about you know we we were just having conversations about it, and the Baldwin quote came up, and I was talking to a one one of my, like my best friend is a rapper. And he was like, I'm going to make a song. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I mean, you should put that uh, you should put that Baldwin quote in the intro. So I, I went to look for it because we could he couldn't find it. I, I was like, I'm, I'm going to find it, which is what, you know, as a reporter, you probably know. You're just the one who people expect to find stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I went looking for it, couldn't find it. But every time I searched, I kept coming across this one hour and a half long video that didn't it didn't say the quote in the headline, but it was just this video. So I was like, it must be in here. And I started listening to that panel discussion and I ended up listening to the whole thing. Uh, so th- that's kind of where it came from. But they they were the ones basically explaining to me how I was feeling, you know, like they mm. were the one kind of putting they 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 were talking about writers so i felt it but i also could hear you know what they were saying and apply it to what players experiencing right this thing really all started for me when i'm watching steven jackson crying on on social media right and it's like i mean this is steven jackson you know they don't make him tougher and just to watch him just to get to the point where He's just so broken. He's got so many body blows. You can just tell it's like, it's like, dang, that's Steven Jackson. You know, that's the dude that goes into the stance. And here he is, like, like just gutted, right? So I was, it just, it just struck me. And just a lot of their conversation, uh, it, it was just so, it was amazing. That, that thing, they could have sat on the panel and said that thing on May 27th. And it would have been just as relevant, uh, which is it's just it's just unfathomable to think that 60 years ago, what they said sounds like it's true now. Well, and to that point, what's so disheartening, I mean, 60 years ago is it's just that's mind numbing to think about the change not coming. And, and even within our lifetime, I don't know how you guys feel, but but even even within the scope of the NBA, um, it's just incredible how you now have this Groundhog Day experience happening. You know, it's Eric Gardner with the I Can't Breathe t-shirts and NBA players, you know, stepping up. It's Trayvon Martin with the Heat and LeBron, you know, 
being outspoken. And, and, and then it's just again and again and again. I mean, even like, you know, we had Garrett Temple on our show last month and uh, Marcus, we talked to him about how Garrett and I got to know each other a little bit better during the Stephon Clark situation when, you know, in Sacramento when he was shot by police and Garrett was playing for the Kings at that time. And just they just keep stacking up. And and it's just, you know, this one, certainly the the ripple effect on the country is now taking it to a new place. And as awful as it is at the moment, certainly the hope is that the real change comes out of it. Um, you know, and I should mention, again, just to sprinkle in some of the NBA stuff. I mean, guys are, are just they're out there. You know, you mentioned Stephen Jackson. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns came out for that press conference, which you got a young man who's already grieving, lost his mother to COVID-19, you know, and now he's out there in a mask standing behind Stephen, you know, uh, because of his relationship with George. And, uh, That's incredible. Uh, yeah. Um, Jalen Brown made the trip to Atlanta, your old stomping grounds, um, and was protesting out there. Tobias Harris was in Philly. Dennis Smith Jr. was I in, got a uh, piece about that coming today. Which one, Tobias or everybody? About, sorry, I just got to call, about uh, Jalen Brown and his uh, oh, uh, act, activist roots. Good. Yeah, I mean, he's, is he, where's he from, Marcus, Jalen? Marietta, Georgia. He is, okay. But he yeah. did go to Cal for a year, so he was in Berkeley. Right, right, right. So, you know, guy, and Monty Williams wrote a powerful letter that, it was actually first published in the athletic, the, the son's coach. Um, and I thought what struck me about Monty's letter was, was the lack of answers, the lack of, um, you know, he, he made a point that the type of point you don't hear people in <clears throat> positions of, you know, like prominent African-American voices making this very often where they just flat out say like, I mean, to an extent he said, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say anymore. Um, you know, but I, th- I thought he struck the right chords. So, um, you know, and I don't have the energy or the interest Let in me, talking. Actually, can I ask you a question? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in hearing what what you guys think about it. Um, there felt like a time in this country where we had come hella far. I, I I do I do remember feeling that way. I do remember having a child and feeling like like like. There, there, a whole lot went into this bright future I have for this child, right? Like, like I can, I, I remember thinking that I could dream about things for my daughter because of, like, you know, whatever, how many sacrifices, untold numbers of sacrifices got to this point. Uh, I, I literally remember having that conversation. Like, I'm, I'm glad to be here in this time and having a child in this time. And I don't know if I was just delusional. I don't believe racism was ever gone. I always thought this post-racial society was was ridiculous. But I didn't think I did think the issues were largely systemic and that it really felt like more a matter of time as some people who held these feelings kind of died off. Right. And and then President Obama got elected, and then I feel like it all went to went to crap. Was were was I seeing something I wanted to see that wasn't there? Am, am I tripping that we're going backwards, or was this was this something that like 
were 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 people really just hiding for 15 years? Were they really just like, yo, I'm gonna put on the greatest act <laughs> of all no. time? <laughs> it's it's um. I'd like to answer this um, just be I've been so quiet. And uh, the first time Sam tried to throw it to me, I, you know, said, oh, uh, where'd you find that quote? Um, I mean, obviously, I, you know, Sam knows, Marcus, we haven't had a chance to talk, but I'm just I'm devastated. And um, and I've been kind of like trying to think about how to like how to talk about this. And um, and I think your your question kind of is the right um, pathway for me and hopefully I can get through all this. But, uh, in 2008, um, I was doing, I was working at the Toledo blade and my day job was covering college football, but I had gotten pulled in to help on the projects team with that election. So I covered the 2008 presidential election and on election night, um, I was assigned to go to a, uh, to the, to the UAW hall, uh, in Toledo, um, white and black people, you know, work for the, you know, they're part of the union there, uh, at the, the, the GM plant and, and, you know, just all kinds of stuff just over the line in Michigan. And, you know, I remember, um, that night, of course, and, and as Wisconsin, you know, was declared blue and that, that meant that, that, that the, that Obama had won and just the tears, you know, rolling down everybody's face because of just what that meant. And I remember like, you know, you have to do your job. Um, and then I remember like finally filing at like midnight or whatever it was and uh, like a, like a scene setter. And then I just remember, you know, getting emotional myself, not because a Democrat had beaten a Republican or because, um, you know, Barack had won and, and John McCain lost. It, it was it was what I thought this meant for the country. Like if you think about what had happened to this <laughs> whole race of people in this, in this place, you know, the way that, that we all got here and, and, and what happened with slavery and voting and, you know, obviously in the sixties and my God, and, and now look, you know, here we are. And then in, in 2012, um, I was, uh, at that point, a national politics reporter and, um, covered mostly the Republicans. And so I was in, I, I covered the whole Republican convention and I was in Florida for that. And so then my partner, uh, did the Democrats and I watched it. I remember sitting at home watching that with, uh, like, you know, you know, with my wife on the couch and just getting so upset. Um, I forget, I, I I, th- I think it was Michelle's speech um, that just like I, I mean I, I really had a hard time and she wanted to know what was wrong and uh, I was just just saying that it was it was the weight of um, being out there and 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 kind of like being around some of these pockets of people and seeing that these problems actually hadn't gone away that they had gotten worse and just how sad things were in the country and so here was this you know, this person who I actually very much personally admire and had met on the campaign trail and uh, delivering this this beautiful speech and like, you know, basically like suffering through like tears, not of joy, but of sadness over what I had seen just as a reporter. And that is eight years ago. Um, and and, you know, we talk about 
how frustrating we are or how frustrated we are with the current president and, and how much of uh, our ire he, he can draw. Um, but he, he like his election was in a lot of ways a result of of this problem. And so not. Yes, of course, it hasn't. <laughs> it didn't go away and 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 now it's so much worse and um you know there's just there's so many thoughts uh that I've been struggling with this week and then even today I mean you know I know you and Sam are friends you and I are friends we've been um you know we've been hanging out the last this is the first uh June that we have not spent together since uh in in 5 or 6 years um and uh, it's, you, you know, in a way, I, I felt like kind of Sam articulated this a little bit, like here, us two white guys and and you're on. I mean, yes, we've actually had you on this pod many times, um, but it feels like in the sentiments in, was in your column a little bit like, why do we have to turn to you when something like this happens? Like, what can we do about it? And um you know, I've been thinking a lot about that and we can get into the conversation, but I'm just, just so sad. So, so sad. And I, you know, I live in Cleveland and the National Guard is actually in the city right now, you know, 15 miles to my left. Um, and, it, you know, and, and I can't <laughs> like, I, I'm not sad because of that. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, well, you know, protests shouldn't turn violent. Like, I, I don't know that that's true. Like some of that stuff is hard to work through, but it's just, it, I, I just, I almost can't articulate the level of, of just, you know, personal sadness and devastation I feel about, about this. Last Dance documentary has brought up the ongoing debate that no one will ever win. Is Michael Jordan the GOAT? Is LeBron the GOAT? One thing we do know for sure is that Manscaped is the GOAT for men's grooming. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced while designing your own triangle offense down under. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with a new and improved lawnmower 3.0, water-resistant, cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with the free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code all one word, THEATHLETIC. There's a weird parallel, but our, our buddy... Uh Ethan Strauss always talks about coaching searches and how the longtime coaching agent, uh, Warren Legary, has this philosophy where he says, you know, that teams overcorrect. You know, if they have a disciplinarian coach and that guy gets fired, then they go for the touchy feely player friendly coach. And this is not that, but it, it is it's you know, it has this overcorrection thing where I I think the darkness was in the darkness, you know, the, the folks yeah. with these types of views, they had been scared into the shadows. And I, I, I as a, I mean, it's weird, man. Cause I, I mean, you're going to learn your entire life. I'm 42 years old. And, and because of what's happening, I feel like I just started learning yesterday. Uh, which is to say that I spent a lot of my adult life, not knowing that uh, the guy, I mean, Marcus, I've seen a Confederate flag in my goddamn town, my town. Outside of Sacramento, it was about two years ago, a 16-something-year-old white kid driving around in a truck, 
and he had a Confederate flag. And this was at the beginning of the Trump tenure. And if I had more balls and I, I should have, I would have ripped it off his truck. Instead, I, I, I basically I just couldn't stop being fixated on it. And I followed the kid. And I, I remember like I hadn't had lunch and I was like, I'm driving around. I see this kid with the flag and I just wanted to get eyes on him. Like, why? Why? Who are you? And why are you doing this? And I remember he uh, he went to this local pizza spot and his mom and pop joint. And uh, and I hadn't had lunch yet. So I was like, you know what? <laughs> he pulled in there. He clearly knows people in there. And I got to eat anyway. So I go in and I sit down and I and I sat three booths away staring at this kid and watching him interact with his with his, his buddies and just trying to understand why. You know, and and I didn't get answers that day, but it scared the shit out of me. And and uh, and and that's happening all over the country. But it's and it's where out was now. this, by the way? Where this you were? Was, this is Sacramento, right? This is so Elk Grove yeah. is a suburb of Sacramento. And listen, um, <laughs> we we live on the most eastern part of Elk Grove, and it's close to a town called Wilton. And what, the farther east you go, the more red it gets. And it's country and it's ranches and farms. And we are kind of on the edge of that. Um, and I don't I, I, you know, I hesitated to share this, you guys, because I don't want to over dramatize anything in my little bubble here. But I do want to share real quick something that because I think it's symbolic of, of uh, everything happening right now. And, and actually, Marcus, you and I didn't connect the other day, but I was calling to to tell you about what went down. I mean. We uh, we we had a hell of a last couple of days, and I'm going to give the short version is this: in the middle of all this racial strife and this pain and these protests, um, there's a, a a guy on my block who's a wonderful man in his 60s, an African American man, and um, a couple nights ago, my 13 year old son comes home, and I'm proud of him because he's got good instincts, and he says, "Hey, Daddy, uh, what's wrong with Ray?" I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Well, I was riding my bike around the neighborhood." And Ray's uh, just standing next to his truck with his hand, uh, his head in his hands for about a half an hour. Like he didn't move for a half an hour. And I just, you know, I said, bud, you know, to be honest, I think it's probably just the weight of the world on him right now. Um, you know what we're seeing. And so I didn't really know. Fast forward the next day. I look out my window. There's three cops at Ray's house. Um, my heart drops and I, and I head out there real quick to find out what's going on. We have three black families at the end of our street. Um, come to find out that, that, that four white kids on bikes rode by and yelled the N-word. And the cops were there because Ray had lost his mind in, in, in an understandable way and was pissed. And his wife was worried about where he was going to go. And we end up posting something on social media because he, he had gotten these kids on his uh, security cameras. And next thing you know, and I'm giving you the shorter version of the story, but next thing you know, um, to the, the credit of the parents, they uh, they saw these pictures, recognized the kids. And I'll say this much, these pictures, you couldn't really tell who the kids were. Like they could have, these families could have just kept it moving. Uh, they made a choice to, to get on their bike. And uh, and one of the gentlemen came over and, and wanted to find out if we were the people who had posted this thing. And at the end of it all, um, to paint the picture for you, we had we had about 30 people at the edge of our street the following day, uh, who came out with an organized gathering, to uh, to to watch this young man come and apologize to the community, uh, and his his family came out 
And it was mostly a positive event. I will say, like, because things are so tough, you know, there was a minute there where it, it got sideways. And, you know, and 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 that stuff, the, it, the level of difficulty in that dialogue is something unlike I've ever experienced and how hard it was to try to pull something positive out of this moment. Um, you know, the, the, the kid looked the man in the eye and told him he was sorry. Uh, incredible speech from from Ray about growing up in the 50s, what he's been through and perspective. Uh, six or seven different people st- you know, spoke um, and the community tried to come together, but it was not easy at all. And that, I mean, you know, that to me is the type of stuff that that has to happen to find a way to bridge these gaps. But I, I'd be lying to you if I said that I walked away uplifted and and hopeful. Um, I, we got a shred of of progress out of it, but um, but it was it was something. I wonder about you know. I wonder who's gonna have the the real heart like to have those conversations. Uh, I was talking with a good friend of mine. Uh, I'm a teacher. She's a fellow teacher. And she's literally one of the best human beings I know. I mean, this is this is without question. White lady. Uh, and, you know, all my life and any athlete, y'all know, every athlete is probably told this if you go pro, right, if you make it. And, you know, you just told in general. You got you never forget where you came from and you need to go back and contribute, right? Never forget where you came from. Give back to your community. Like that's drilled in you when you're from the black community. As a matter of fact, if you make it out of poverty and go live in the suburbs and never have a connection to your community, you are now at beef with your community, right? <laughs> Nobody's like celebrating like, yo, you may, I'm glad you out there. I might join you one day. They're like, man, you don't even come back, right? Which for athletes can be pretty dangerous because when they do come back, not everybody is uh, has the best intentions for their return, right? So they have to be very smart about it, about how they interact with their community. But they they but you can't forget it's just ingrained in you which is why that conversation we used to have years ago about entourages was so tough because it's hard for a player to say yo yeah if if i was just a a nine to five worker you'd be with me right we'd be hanging out but because i made it to the nba like i gotta cut you off right like that's just a tough thing to have because we've been taught that much uh so i was talking to her because she um she lived and she lived in a uh, you know midwestern town. I don't want to say where she's from because I don't want to disparage the whole place. But she, uh, she lived in a place like predominantly white and a lot of racism, and she did not like it. And she left and she moved to the Bay Area, but you know became this and super super intelligent, very thoughtful, like just non harmful person. And we were having this conversation. I was like, you know, I mean, the truth is you kind of need to go back. (laughs) You need to go back home. And it's tough, man. It's going to be tough. But people who who don't harbor these ill feelings, and I'm not even saying you have to have all of these answers and know everything. I'm not even saying that you have to be some type of scholar on African-American studies. But you just can't abandon your family. Like, you can't do it. You can't leave them with that hate. You know what I'm saying? You got to go back. You have to go back 
and make your family understand that the hate that they feel is wrong. Right. Period. Like you, you can't forget about your community. You can't forget where you came from. Like that's my, that's my challenge. Right. Is like, you can't forget where you came from. Go back and tell them like, yo, I know we've been made this way, but this is wrong. Not, not just because, not just because it is, it is, it is inaccurate. It, it is wrong. Not just because it's a violation of humanity. Maybe that doesn't work. But because you are better life without hate, right? <laughs> you will live a better life without hating your heart. Like this is not even up for debate. You live a better life. You raise better children. Your life is more fulfilled when you don't hate people. Just that simple, right? So, I, I, but that's a tough thing to have. I, I don't. I don't tell people this very much. But when I was in, when I was in college, I went to school in Atlanta. I remember reading this book that had me crying in class. It's about a dude from the hood who went to Stanford. I really wish I remember the name of the book, but I, I, I don't. But there's a dude who went to Stanford, and he was having a hard time at Stanford. He was struggling at Stanford because he was from abject poverty. And at home, like he was like, yo, my family is, is struggling. And at Stanford, he had everything. He's got a clean place. He's got a meal plan. He's got food. And he's like, how do I eat? knowing my family's starving, right? And I I didn't know what what why I was so like why college was so tough at first. It's because of that. Like I'm you know, I'm I'm, I'm chilling. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm in Atlanta, like at Freak Dick and everybody and I know I got siblings back at home struggling, right? And you know, as a college student, you can kind of get lost in college. But there are those moments, you know, where you're like, like this doesn't even feel fair. This doesn't even feel right. You know what I'm saying? So but when I got uh, out of college and I did an internship at Newsday and now it's time to get a job. And, you know, I had all these people telling me, uh, here's where you work. But I'm like, Sam, I'm like, I got to go to the bank. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, when you get a job out of college, you basically as a journalist, you're supposed to be willing to go anywhere and you probably go end up anywhere. Right. You know what I'm saying? So they're like, uh, I got a guy. The Corpus Christi paper wants to holler at you, and the paper in Alabama wants to holler at you. And yeah, I'm like, I'm going to the bay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, uh, I remember sitting with uh, assistant editor at Newsday, and we were going over my clips, and she was helping me kind of get ready because I was sending out stuff so I can get a job, and all my stuff was to Bay Area Publications, right? She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, I'm going, I'm going home, right? So the job has to be at home. And everybody thought I was crazy. They thought I was arrogant. It was like, you don't just get to go to the a top five market. Like, you got to start somewhere. You know what I'm saying? You right. got to go where the job is. But I was like, and I didn't say this, but I was like, I can't. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got a family. I got to go home, man. I got to right. help my family. If, if right. I got to get a job and then right on the side, that's what I got to do. But I, what I look like in Corpus Christi, you know what I'm saying? Making, right. I don't know, it would have been 40000 or 30000 whatever. It would have been a lot of money. Right. But what right. I look like living out there, and I got family hungry. Like, I had to go home. I had to. I didn't have a choice, right? So that's what I want. That's what I'll be telling like my uh, friendly white counterparts, the people who got, you got love, like Sam, Joe, like I, I, I know you, I've, I, I hang with you. I've touched you. You, you, you don't, you aren't motivated by hate. Like 
I don't feel repulsed when you when I come by you like oh that dude don't like me you know what I'm saying like just go take that back <laughs> you know what I'm saying <laughs> just go just go take that back and make sure it be like yo man it's just not cool to hate like that I, I I do feel like it would be a lot better if people just stopped leaving their families behind and leaving their families ignorant and yeah. and leaving their families riddled with this 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 cancerous feeling that that i'd be willing to bet is eating the family alive yeah i mean and to that point and and i'm gonna leave it here because it's a sensitive thing but like the discussion that was pretty robust in our neighborhood was what you're alluding to is this kid who made a terrible choice to say what he said and again to his credit he did cop to it um the question then became, you know, where did it come from? And there's, we'll never know. Uh, because the thing is, it, it could be, I, like, I got a sister who uh, who moved from Newport Beach area to England within the last two years, and legitimately one of their motivations was because they did not like the climate in that part of Southern California. It's, uh, I mean, there are pockets that are very hateful towards people of color, and their concern is parents of one daughter only child was that for one they're older parents and and that they're just trying to be very deliberate about how they raise her but for two if you put them in a school environment where the you know you can only have your hands on your kids for so many hours a day and if that environment is people with a certain viewpoint then inevitably that's going to bleed into who they are as a person and so uh i mean their move is extreme next thing you know they're they're out in england but um you know that's that's, you know, your, your, your lesson is good though. I mean, you start with your family and then for me, it's like, I would like to go a lot farther than that. I'd like to, to go and, and have these conversations with people who I care about outside of my family, but even extended family is not always easy, but you know, that, that mountain seems incredibly tall right now and extremely tough to get over. Um, doesn't mean you stop trying to do it, but you know, it, it, it's, it's tough right now. I think, the the thing that I the thing that I keep wondering is um, how much the conversation you know whether it's this one or whether it's what you say on Twitter which I hate Twitter uh, but what you say there or you know if you're an athlete a prominent athlete and you go to a protest and you hold a, a bullhorn and I just I wonder all this speech. And all of this talking, like how much it helps. And Marcus, you said earlier, talking about being tired, um, and <laughs> not not that in any way, shape, or form could I even ever uh, be able to, to truly relate to that. But but I feel a little worn out. But and I'll explain it. Um, you know, a lot. A lot of LeBron's second tenure in Cleveland was during some of this stuff. Now, obviously, the the Trayvon Martin thing was was when he was uh, he was still in Miami, and 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 so I was not in contact with him then. But if you think about Ferguson, and you think about the first I can't breathe with with Garner, and 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 then here in Cleveland with Tamir Rice, and and on and on and on. I mean, here here you have arguably um the most popular athlete in the planet or on the planet uh, close 
Um, n- no one, I mean, has you know a, a bigger uh, bully pulpit if they want it than than LeBron to, um, and 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 he's just looked up to by so many people. It doesn't matter the race, and these terrible things keep hap- would keep happening, and you know we would go to him and and you know have to ask him how he feels about it. I mean, how ridiculous of a question is that? Um, and and he would share it. And he would do things like he and Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony and and Dwayne would go and stand up at, at, at you know the the ESPYS and 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 give that speech at the top of the ESPYS like over and over again. Um, whether it's LeBron or these the, these prominent African American athletes are put in this position of having to say that it's a bad thing that police are killing people who look like them, and. It still happens. And so, you know, that's one of the things I've been struggling with is is how much does the does the talking matter? And and I think one of the things that your your column points out when you're when you're talking about, like, don't look away, don't ignore it. I think that that is part of it. And that like these discussions um, can help on some level because because one of the, the, the steps is is to get parents who look like me and look like Sam to start talking to their children at a very, very young age to explain to them how things should be. Um, you know, that's one way to eliminate systemic racism, which is what this is. Um, but I think, you know, I, I go back to um, that night at the ESPYs with LeBron and and sort of, um, you know, Carmelo and 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 Dwayne and, and even Chris were a little bit more pointed with what they had to say that night, whereas LeBron wasn't. He kind of kept talking about his school, but his that school is sort of what he holds up as his answer to this this problem. Like instead of trying to talk your way through it, what he's done is is he has tried to create a system where. Um, the kids who had the same struggles he did growing up, like have access to the things that he didn't have. So you can have a better education and the better education leads to more opportunities to get to college and just leads to, you know, more money and then access to healthcare. Like, and, and that I guess is more of part of the answer, I suppose, is that it's like we can't just tweet about it. And, you know, for as much as I like I'm okay with a lot of what's going on protest wise, um, like no matter how many windows get broken, you know, we're still going to have racist cops tomorrow. We just we are. So I feel like the more that people of like athletes that have this kind of money and access to fortune and fame, like the more they can reinvest it in things like, you know, I mean, it it can be as audacious as a public school, like what LeBron's done, but there's myriad athletes who have great charities, but man, I feel like that and, and, you know, investing and paying and, and, and getting businesses involved to help with these schools. And that way I feel like, that is part of the answer. No, I would agree, uh, Joe. I uh, I was with you the whole time through. I think, unfortunately, we lost Marcus. Uh, he had a uh, <laughs> he had a power outage at his house. Uh, oh no! Yeah. Uh, so I I don't see him hopping back on just yet. Um, I do feel like we had a pretty robust, honest conversation about 
the issues, and it's going to certainly not be the last time that we go down this road. Um, so barring uh, him trying to jump back on right now, I, I guess we can maybe wrap it up. We're about that time anyway, uh, unless you uh, unless you see it otherwise. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Okay. All right. Thank you. Listen, Joe, for you sharing your view of this. Uh, you know, uh, like I said at the top, not much hoops here and hope people understand why. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I mean, you know, real quickly on the NBA front, <clears throat> I think it does certainly pose another challenge for Adam Silver because he was already trying to, to uh, make a final decision on the type of end of season format to uh, to to save this 1920 season in Orlando and that is still the plan but but now to do it in this context it's just another layer for him to <clears throat> be sensitive to and to work through and to consider so um you know this this is a lot and uh we will be back with you next week thank you very much to Marcus for joining us and 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 kind of helping us understand and uh everybody be safe be good to each other, and, and we'll be back next week. Thank you.